everybody. Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Last week, Chad and Heather got the chance to interview the incredible writer Jim Zub. And then we reviewed Fantastic Four Annual Number 3, where the X-Men battled some really bizarre, kooky 60s villains and attended the wedding of Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman. It was nuts. We had a great time. Uh, This week, we're taking one more step back in continuity a little bit into a different title, and we're going to be reviewing Journey into Mystery Number 109. That was the old Thor series before they started calling it Thor. This book was from October 1964. It's called When Magneto Strikes, so you can clearly hear the relevance. Uh, it was written by Je- uh, by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Chick Stone, and lettered by Sam Rosen. And we are thrilled to have the amazing artist uh, and writer and personal friend of mine, uh, Mr. Terry Glass. Terry, welcome back. We are so happy to have you back here on Grey Malkin Lane. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be back. Uh, we are also joined by uh, Richie and by Matt. Uh, welcome, both of you guys. It's nice to have you both back as well. Uh, thanks, Matt. Um, so we're going to have everybody introduce themselves. Uh, if you can let us know your name, your gender pronouns. Uh, and then the question we're going to have you share tonight is, uh, or the question we're going to have you answer tonight is, uh, is there a crazy medical story from your life? Uh, so, Terry, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, I'm Terry Blass. My pronouns are he, him. You can, I mean, you can use anything though. If you're like, hey girl, I don't care. <laughs> I'm not, it's not offensive to me to be a woman, so it's fine. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I am the writer of the Reptile miniseries um, from Marvel. I also got to write a couple stories in the Marvel Voices series, one for Pride and one for Comunidades. Um, just recently, I released a graphic novel called Lifetime Passes, which is an original book of mine. And next week, I am releasing a book called Who Was the Voice of the People? Cesar Chavez, which is a biography about him. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I've been very busy. Um, do you want me to go into my medical story? Yes. So I think this is ridiculous because when, when asked this question, I, I couldn't really think of anything else. But I have most of my interactions with my doctor um, seem to begin with talking about my weight. <clears throat> uh, she constantly wants me to lose weight. And um, we were talking about it once, and I didn't know whether or not she brought this up because she knew I was from Idaho or because she thought it was just like a very white people thing, very white passing um, thing. But her suggestion for me to lose weight was, she said, next time, instead of two potato, try one potato. And then she started laughing and I didn't know how to take it. So now we don't really discuss my weight anymore. I don't know if she thinks potatoes are like a staple food that like white people eat, which maybe they are, but is this uh is this a reference? A... Is this a reference to you being from Idaho? That's what I mean. I don't know if she was like, oh, he's from Idaho, so he must eat potatoes a lot, or if she was just like, well, he's like kind of white, so maybe I'll tell him to do that. I don't know. But that's why I think it was ridiculous. <laughs> that's uh that's delicious. Thank you for sharing. Uh now I want potatoes. <laughs> They're very versatile food. <laughs> Richie, would you like to go next? Oh yeah, Richie, he, him. Uh, my medical story is embarrassing as all how. Um, I had a, I went to the doctors get a physical. Uh, it was a female physician. Uh, she starts uh, taking a look at my privates, and she says, "Oh, I can't find nothing." And then and then she looks up at me and just smiles and says, "Oh, I'm sorry, I was unprofessional." I was so embarrassed, but I, I just, <laughs> I just took it. <laughs> was she deliberately tossing shade or was it just an accident? No, I think she was the same facts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic. Uh, Maddie, would, would you like to go next? Sure. Um, well, my name is Matt. I go by he, him, his. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I can think of a good medical story to tell. I was thinking about that all day. 
and then I could not think of anything. So, yeah, if nothing comes to mind, that's okay yeah. too. We're just happy to have you back, man. That uh, means that there's a ridiculous medical story waiting to happen in your future. <laughs> you're gonna go in. Possible. You're gonna go in, and they're gonna amputate the wrong leg sometime. <laughs> uh, so, my name is Chad. I go by he him. I um I have a lot of weird medical stories actually, but the funniest one that comes to mind, and this really did happen. I was 22, I was in college, and one morning I woke up and had bitten by what seemed to be a pretty substantial spider. I had like a 50 cent piece size bite on my arm that was like raised off the arm and filled with liquid. And I was actually pretty freaked out. And on the yellow pages, because this is back in the days when we used things like phone books, because uh, I'm old now, uh, there was there was an ad in the beginning of the book where you could call the hospital and just talk to a nurse, like to consult with a nurse to see if you could come into the hospital. So I called her and it was clearly a woman who was like new. She had some sort of handbook. She was flipping pages and like asking reference questions. So she said, what are you coming in for? I, or what are you asking about? I said, I have this spider bite on my arm. I think it's a spider bite. And so she like goes bites, bites. And she flipped to a different section of the book. And then she goes, could you have been bitten by a dog? And I said, no, it was very clearly uh, a spider. And she goes, could it have been a bat or a squirrel? <laughs> I said, ma'am, never mind. Thank you very much. And I hung up the phone. But uh, that's the story that came to mind first, is that ridiculous. <laughs> could it have been a bat or a squirrel has become uh, a tagline in my life since then. Um, the reason to figure out if you were a supervillain or <laughs> I am not bat or, or squirrel man. Uh, like you've been bitten by a bat, you know. They don't allow supervillains into the hospital. <laughs> so the reason we ask that is we are going back into an issue of Thor uh, Journey into Mystery back in the 1960s. Now, one of the interesting things uh, a lot of people do not realize about Thor for many years, his father wanted to teach him a lesson in humility, and he placed him into the body of a mortal doctor uh, who had uh, one leg that wasn't as functional as the other. And so he had to use a cane to walk. And this was an, a doctor named Dr. Donald Blake. And Thor would uh, run his medical practice, but then he could uh, tap his cane on the ground and the doctor would then turn into Thor. And then the hammer would sometimes turn back into the cane and when, when Thor was back in mortal form. So there's some weird stuff that happens in his medical office. That's why we're uh, telling those stories today. But first, we're going to spend some time interviewing uh, the, the handsome and talented uh, Mr. Terry Blass. Uh, Terry, you came on the podcast once previously when we reviewed the first appearance of Kesar in the Savage Land. But we did not uh, interview you about your career. And that's uh, kind of the turn the podcast has taken lately. So thank you so much for coming back. Yeah, of course. Ask me whatever you want. <laughs> uh, Terry and I know each other in real life. Uh, would you like to tell everybody how we met, Terry? Sure. Um, I, <laughs> I was filming a documentary ages ago, years and years ago, that I, <laughs> I think is still being edited. I don't know. Um, and... I was in Utah and I had, po this is funny because considering what I write, um, I had posted a picture of myself riding one of those green Sinclair dinosaurs that you have at gas stations in Utah. <laughs> and I think you messaged, because we had been friends online and you messaged me and you were like, are you in Utah? I said, yes. And during that trip, we met up and chatted and hung out and had dinner with like the production team and all that. And have been in touch and friends ever since. Well, you guys actually interviewed me. I was in your documentary. Yes, we did. Which was uh, quite some time ago. And I was making a documentary at the same time. Terry and I have uh, a, a similarity in that we both grew up Mormon and in Idaho, although we did not meet until just a few years back. Uh, so I think I first became aware of you, Terry, when you published a brief comic about what it means uh, or the differences between being Hispanic and Latino and Latinx. And it, it went pretty viral at the time. Uh, tell us a little about that story. Well, I live in Portland, well, just outside Portland, which is the whitest major city in the country. And <laughs> I encountered a lot of people who I, and I don't think this is specific to Portland by any means, but um, would use the terms Latino and Hispanic interchangeably. And I was under the impression they didn't mean the same thing. 
And I decided to do like a short six kind of page autobio thing, um, a little bit about my life and and um, explaining what those terms mean. I didn't expect anything from it, but um, I posted it on my Tumblr, which was a thing back then, and um, woke up to like 25,000 reblogs the next day because I guess, in my, in my opinion, I think when you write something or post something today about identity, people have a lot to say. So um, nobody wants to be told how to identify. Nobody wants to, uh, you know, be told that. So I, I don't know. I just made this thing that I, I felt like I'm not writing a 20 page dissertation. It's just a six page comic. That's going to take these terms and give you like a simplified um, explanation of what they mean. Uh, so you, so that, that can start a conversation. Um, the next one I did was about the term Latinx, which people still seem to be up in arms about. Um, and that to me is just an inclusive, it's an inclusive term. So if you don't want to use it, then to me, that means you don't want to be inclusive. <laughs> and I'm not telling anybody to use it. I'm not telling anybody that they have to identify as Latinx. Um, but that's what I use. And I, I don't know. I think those two comics, um, they made their way around the internet. People really seemed to share them and spread them around. They're on Vox.com. And I was interviewed on like NPR and other, other places. Um, but yeah, I think those, I think that's actually what most people know me for is those two comics. The, uh, the idea of, and we've been exploring this with different creators of you have your day job and then you do the thing you love on the side, you write and you draw and you write and you draw and you pitch and you, you work and you hustle and then slowly, once in a while, sometimes a few years or sometimes many years into that process, uh, you you get a break uh, and then you get another break and then you have to fight for that next break after that. It's a, it's a rough job that you do, but you do it because you love it and because you're passionate about it. Uh, and I've seen so much of your work over the years and seen how you've grown as a storyteller. Um, uh, creating something new and collaborating with someone is one thing. And then taking a character out of continuity and having to research their backstories and write is a completely different type of work. So I know a lot of your work prior to this, you, you've done things like Rick and Morty uh, and uh, and a few big series like that. But then coming into Marvel, uh, what was it like to get that call uh, with the assignment about Reptile? Tell us that story. <clears throat> It was, it was kind of interesting because, yeah, I had done some Rick and Morty and I had written like four issues of a Steven Universe comic, some Amazing World of Gumball. And so I felt like I was decent at, you know, writing in a established character's voice um, and making it sound like them. And at the time I had been researching different Mexican Marvel superheroes and I came across one called Hummingbird. And I really liked her story and a lot of it felt like it was pretty ripe for like a solo series. There's a lot that she doesn't know about her past. So I was researching that um, in the hopes of like, I don't know, maybe one day I could pitch something to Marvel. Who knows? And um, around the time I was researching that, my agent emailed me and she said, hey, take a look at this. <laughs> and it was an email um, from an editor, two editors at Marvel who mentioned that they we're going to do a solo series for the character Reptile, who had been in comics for about 10 years, but had never had his own series. And they were wondering if I would want to pitch something to them. And my, well, if I'm being very honest, my first thought was like, who? <laughs> I'd never, I'd never heard of this character. And I had read a lot of like young Avengers and, and whatnot, but I hadn't read a lot of Avengers Academy, which is the series that he had been in. And my, then my second thought was like, yeah, of course I'll do this. And when I found out that his power was that he could turn into dinosaurs, I was like, how is this not every kid's favorite Marvel character? Like, I, I don't understand. <laughs> and I was a huge dinosaur nerd as a kid. So, um, you know, they said what I think they tell everybody, like, you know, be aware that we're, we're talking to several people, but, um, the way I like to operate is like, cool, great. <laughs> and then I read everything I could find about him in like two days and wrote something, came up with some ideas and sent it in. Cause I felt like, and this is what I did with Steven universe too. I felt like 
if I can give them something that's good enough and I can get it in before anyone else, then they're going to go, yeah, that works and not seek anyone else out. <laughs> so that's what happened. And I know that um, part of why they sought me out was because one of the editors had read my book, Hotel Dare, which is like a fantasy adventure series um, featuring a Mexican family that has like epic battles, but uh, like a, a like a lot of heart to it, I guess. <clears throat> um, so that's how I got it. <laughs> that's uh, that's a great. Again, you we 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 never know the behind the scenes stuff, but to have to pitch and work and write and then to hope to get chosen because you never know what's going to take off. Now, Reptile came from a strange place, uh, despite a, a a recent history. Uh, he has a lot of complicated pieces. He had a, a future version of himself inhabiting his body for a while, and he's been tortured by Norman Osborn and all, uh, all kinds of crazy things. Um, there was a lot of mysteriousness about how he got his powers and where his parents are. Uh, but you, you gave this character a lot of heart, uh, and you gave him a beautiful family unit that I know fans have really responded to. Uh, he has two cousins that are twins, one uh, is a magic user. The other is a gay fashion designer. I think we could say it that way. Uh, and and blogger. He does, he does like videos too. So he's kind of techie. And, and they've had a little bit of staying power. Uh, you got to take one of your very own creations there and then recently put her into uh, the Comunidades uh, uh, issue. Tell us a little about what that's been like to see her move forward. I mean, it's been really interesting because because I think with the Voices series, they try to feature a new or newish um, character and flesh them out as a hero. And so when the Marvel Voices Comunidades book started to take shape, um, one of my editors on Reptile asked me if I would be interested in taking Eva, which is his, uh, Reptile's cousin, and expanding a bit on her um, in terms of her being a magic user. And I, you know, I think what I try to do is read as much as I can as well. Like when I created Reptile's new story, I my question to the editors was what is happening in the Marvel universe right now that could potentially affect him? And when writing Eva and her story for Comunidades, I thought, well, right now there's a school for kids who do magic in the Marvel universe. So maybe she would end up going there since what she's done so far is teach herself. Um, and it was interesting because then we got to kind of um, design like a new costume for her, um, flesh out a little bit of more of her character. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's there's um, a piece of jewelry that she has that is connected to the Reptile miniseries, which allows her to um, use its magic as well. Um, so yeah, it was really cool to see and then really wild because one of my influences when I was younger someone whose comics I read a ton of was Umberto Ramos. And he got to take some of the sketches I had done and then sort of do his version of what she would look like. And then he ended up doing, he did a variant cover for Reptile, which I, blew my mind. But then he also did one of the variants for Voices, which had her on it since she was the new character they featured. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's been kind of crazy. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. People are like, has it hit you yet? And I still think like to this day, I'm like, mm, I don't know. Not really. Like, <laughs> it feels weird to say that, like, I got to create new characters that exist in Marvel. And it's, it's something that I guess the reason that it feels so strange is because there are so many new characters that get created all the time. But I feel like if, if people don't, you know, support those books or seek out those characters or ask Marvel for more with those characters, then a lot of them kind of fall by the wayside. Um, and so I don't want that to happen to Julian and Eva. So <laughs> um, I'm hoping people, you know, really like the story in Comunidades and that more people discover Reptile now that the full trade is out as well. So you you did a beautiful job on both. Uh, and you get to use uh, German Aguilar uh, in Comunidades yeah. as well, who's such a great character from Strange Academy. Now, your closest ties to the X-Men, I know you're a long-term X-Men fan, but yeah. you also got to feature uh, the character Anol, 
Uh, and I guess I'm the reptile guy now. I don't know. <laughs> uh, the, the lizard man. Not uh, my favorite animal species, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to feature uh, Anol and Gray Malkin and Dawkin and a few characters in the uh, Marvel Voices Pride issue. Uh, what was it like to work in the, in the X realm, if even for just a few pages? <clears throat> it was great. I mean, the, the, what I thought was going to happen with the Pride issue was that I assumed that a lot of the stories being written were going to be romantic, which I think ended up happening. And I think that's great and that's needed and it's wonderful. But I thought, you know, I kind of want to do something about queer friends because those relationships are meaningful too. And they're meaningful to me. And, and when I thought about like, well, who are, who are like gay best friends (laughs) in the X-Men? The more I thought about it, the more I thought that, that this would be like a Nolan Gray Malkin. And so I wrote this, short story where uh, I guess right now Anol is like the bartender on Krakoa, like right. at the Green Lagoon. Right and after so, right after he finished being the CEO of Worthen Industry, Worthington Industries. So how old is he? Like I don't know. Like is he a teenager still? Is he like in his 20s? I don't know. And so basically I just um I did this thing where you know if there's a bar then they're gonna have a dance. And so all the X-Men are like having a dance and they're all hanging out and he speaks with uh, Jonas, Gray Malkin, and they talk about just kind of how grateful they are to be in each other's lives. And then it ends with um, the two of them dancing. Um, and what felt weird about it was that I got to end the script with something like writing something like um, in the background, Logan dances with Scott and Jubilee throws fireworks into the sky. <laughs> that felt so weird. <laughs> like to type out, um, but it felt kind of great. So like, that was really cool. Um, that's, that's the, cl- that's as much X-Men stuff as I've done. I would love to do more one day, but, but yeah, that's, that's sort of what I did. There's a couple movie quotes in there that you might catch if you are looking real close. Um, but yeah. It, it was, was fun. really fun. We got to interview uh, Dr. Robbie McNiven just a couple of weeks ago about his team that, uh, about his book, First Team, that featured Anol and Gray Malkin in it. Uh, and I, I shared with him the story you had written uh, and and how he, how you kind of pulled on the idea that they're friends, not lovers. And uh, he had a very similar take on um, on their friendship as well. They, they nice. you know, they bonded over trauma and not fitting in, but it was a, a best friend thing. Uh, so yeah. I really mean, I, I, I need like a road trip, like, comic with the two of them <laughs> like where they're I don't know that's my take that's my pitch and then some crazy thing happens and of course but yeah I just want the two of them to hang out and go on trips together. Graham Malkin is a character that is just hungry for more storytelling I think there's a lot of potential with him. Uh, who is your all-time favorite X-Men hero and villain Terry? And then that's let me really... turn it over to uh, to Matt and Richie if you guys have questions. That's really tough because um it's changed over the years, I think. Um, when when I first discovered X-Men, it was Rogue. Because there was um, there was a thing where I felt like you know, I, I understood her character in terms of like, uh-oh, I have this secret, this thing about me. And if I act on it, if I kiss a boy, something bad's going to happen. And I, can't, I have to harness this. I can't, you know, use it. So that really spoke to me. And I also love the idea of like, most of the time an X an X-Men or a mutant has one power. And I was like, well, but she's, she can kind of do all of it if, you know, if she wants. So I thought that was really cool. And I, I mean, as a kid, my favorite uh, villain was probably, um, is it Sauron? Like the, the pterodactyl dude. Cause you're the lizard man. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and of, and of course Magneto, but, um, and now as an adult, mm, I don't know. I think I I loved. Um, I think it was is it X Men Red that that uh, Jean Grey led this team, and there was like Cassandra Nova. I yeah. thought that was a great villain for especially for Jean. Um, <clears throat> and I'm excited that she's going to be back in the Marauders comic. So that's really so cool. insane. It's so I know it's nuts, and I can't wait. Um, and so I love that. And now, as an adult, my favorite X. Man goes back and forth all the time between Storm and Jean Grey. <laughs> I don't know why, just because I think they're cool. Bold choices. No, I love it. Uh, my 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 sons regularly 
pepper me with X Men questions now because they see me prepping for the podcast all the time. And my favorite villain is Sauron. And uh, just tonight at dinner, my ten year old was like, "So what are his powers?" And I was like, "He's got claws, and he can fly, and he can hypnotize you and drain your life force and breathe fire, and he has a healing." And he's like, "What?" He's like, "That's too many powers for one person." <laughs> he was very upset. Uh, uh, Richie and Terry, do you guys have? Or, I'm sorry. Richie and Maddie, do you guys have questions for Terry? Yeah, I got one. Uh, Reptile, the first issue, right? I was reading it with my daughter. Oh, cool. And and you put the fashion district in in your first issue? Yeah. And <laughs> Santee Alley is my, one of my favorite places in Los Angeles. And well, yeah, I'm from Pasadena. Oh yeah, I take my daughter there all the time. <laughs> And when I was reading reading it to her, she was like, "Is that is that is that where we go?" And I was like, "Oh my god, yeah!" And I'm just wondering. The question is: Is this the first time in continuity that the Fashion District of, is is in, in the Marvel universe? I I can't say for 100 yes or no because I you know I haven't read every Marvel comic, but I'm going to say that it's a distinct possibility. I don't I don't find often unless we're counting like this recent hellfire gala that fashion is a big thing that happens in comics um depending on the comics but yeah i just felt like it would be a really cool place to have a like a a battle because it's so bright and colorful and and there's lots of alleyways and also just a great place that sort of points towards at least for me like mexican pride there's so many business owners there there's so many great, you know, people and there's cool, like fun food and cool things to buy. I bought like four phone cases there because they were cheap. Um, so I just really liked it there. And it seemed like a natural place that his cousin, you know, they go there because his cousin needs more fabric because he's making a dress for his sister that you will see in the fourth issue. So it, like they didn't just go there because I liked it. I was like, oh, this makes sense. Um, if you look really close. You can see in a couple panels that this there's a symbol for Santee Alley that's like this. It's a circular um, graphic symbol of like a woman in a hat and then like the silhouette of her body. And that's usually stamped on the on the pavement in the fashion district. But the oh. villain, the villain um, can make monsters out of like rock and gravel and cement. And so one of the big monsters yeah, that's it. And so a few pages later, one of the monsters has that symbol on him, like all messed up because he's made out of rock. <laughs> and I was very adamant. I was like, nope, it has to be colored like this so that you can see and it has to be yellow because they're yellow. So yeah, I was very happy to include it. And I've heard from several people that that what they really enjoyed was that it was a Marvel comic that didn't take place in New York and that that showed places in California as you as you read the series you see more and more places that are distinct you know I, I was like there's no way I can write this and not have them in the end you know end up at like um the Cabazon dinosaurs in like in Palm Springs I was like they got to go there just for fun like why not so and you know I loved going to Santa Monica when I lived in Los Angeles and all along that promenade are um like topiary dinosaurs and so i was like los angeles sorry los angeles is perfect if this is about a mexican family they don't live in new york <laughs> like they live in los angeles oh thank you so much yeah sure uh maddie did you have any questions um i don't think so nothing i can think of at the moment uh so if you guys have not read reptile you should it's great it's fun it's super campy marvel but pushes a really great character in a new direction Tons of fun action, a lot of amazing dinosaurs, and we get a lot of queer stuff. There's good-looking boys, there's shirtless reptile, there's uh, the fabulous Julian. And you also you also get a character whose canonical name is the Fag Hag of the Pits. Uh, <laughs> just, just the Hag of the Pits, but we can call her the Fag Hag of the Pits. Why not? I, I will, I'll tell you a funny tidbit. In the script, I wrote that when they get tacos, I said, you know, they go up to this taco cart. It's called Taco and Gana, which is like a play on um, words in Spanish. Um, and I wrote that the taqueria, the guy that is making the tacos, is a large man. That's all I said in the script. And I pictured like, like a round person. <laughs> and what Anid drew was 10 times better because he gave us this like sexy, big, 
muscled taqueria guy. And then I was like, okay, he will be in every issue now. <laughs> and so he appears in every issue except the, the third one, I believe, because of the story. Right, right. Um, and you get a distinct uh, moment in the fourth one where you can tell that Julian has a crush on this guy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> It's so fun. Uh, <laughs> beautiful work, Terry. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what comes next for you. Um, thank Me you. Me too. For... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yet. <laughs> no, I know we chat a lot. I know you've got a lot going on consistently. Uh, uh, carving out time even can be tricky. But between your commissions and the work that I'm sure will be coming your way, uh, I'm I'm thrilled to uh, to watch whatever's. And Terry's doing a, a commission piece for us here at Graham Alcon. He's going to do uh, an Iceman for I us. thought of an idea that I thought was really fun, and it's it's a little over halfway done right now. I'm so, I'm excited, so excited to see it. I can't wait. Um, okay, so with that, we're going to transition into uh, Journey into Mystery number 109, which is, a uh, again, an issue of Thor fighting Magneto. This is one of the first appearances of Magneto. For those of you who have not read the 60s comics, 60s Magneto is different than any other version of Magneto. <laughs> He's very, he's very a lot. Uh, let's hear some of your reactions to uh, to the cover of this issue. First off, uh, we have uh, we have Thor spread legged, uh, posing, muscular, and all thighs as Magneto tries to zap his hammer out of his hand with a magnetic wave, and we get the uh, the chunky Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in the background. Uh, tell me some of your thoughts about this cover. Thor's pose is very, it's, it's, it's like kind of sexy. <laughs> uh-huh. It's very suggestive. I don't know. Um, but if I were a kid and I had seen this, my thought would be like, yeah, cool. How is Thor going to beat Magneto if he, if what his weapon is, is like a metal hammer. So I, it, w- it would pull me in. Thor could pull you in. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Maddie, what did you think? Um, you know, I didn't pay much attention to the cover, to be honest. Um, I read it digitally, so I, yeah, I just thought it was kind of the average, normal, usual cover from the era, it seems like, you know? Yeah, it's nothing it last. Scarlet Witch is nothing, nothing bold or daring. Scarlet Witch is a uh, toilet seat. Head cover is back in full force. It's looking bigger than her hair. <laughs> uh, Richie, did you have any thoughts? Oh, I love it. It looks like it looks like Thor and Magneto are having a dance off. <laughs> and you're you're absolutely right about those thighs. Like like I'm straight, and I'm like those are those are some damn good thighs. <laughs> uh, Magneto's purple underpants are also just. Astounding! It looks so much cooler later. Uh, I mean, his helmet is iconic, but uh, his purple underpants are, are everything. Um, when we open up the issue, we get to we get to hear the credits. If you guys remember, the old '60s letterers would often make fun of themselves. So I'm going to read the credits out loud. Written by Stan Lee, the monarch of the Marvel Age, at the pinnacle of his power. Illustrated by Jack Kirby, the prince of pageantry at the height of his titanic talent. Inked by Chick Stone, the dean of line design at the peak of his prowess. Lettered by S. Rosen, the sultan of spellbinding at the little table in his studio. Uh, those always make me smile when you get to see those old uh, old letterers taking jibes at themselves. Um, as the issue opens, we get to see Thor has been invited to the World World's Fair, which was a thing that used to happen. Uh, go to Wikipedia and look up World's Fairs. <laughs> they used to be a really, really big deal back in the day. Uh, uh, there is a statue of him being unveiled. It is, uh, it is uh, his hammer in the statue is twirling behind him, uh, all made of stone. His right or his left arm is all Heil Hitler straight up into the air. <laughs> He's looking fierce and strong. Uh, and on the next page, we get to see they've also made more statues. On one side, we have uh, the thing, Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman. On the other, we have Captain America, Iron Man. Uh, we get to see what looks like a giant man's arm and then a little teeny stone wasp just kind of carved into his side. Uh, the, uh, they're going to put these into what they call the Hall of Heroes at the World's Fair. Uh, did you guys enjoy these uh, these opening images? I did. 
Yeah, Thor, it's funny because in that first page, he's saying something like, oh, I'm truly touched. But the look on his face, he's like looking away like, ugh. Like he's like he's done. <laughs> and then the only thing I could think about this next page was that the statue of um, Reed Richards, that those arms are going to be broken so fast. <laughs> looks like he's trying to tickle giant man across the panel. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to snap under their own weight for sure. Uh, as we as we move forward, Thor leaves the World's Fair, and it is just time for him to go back to his mortal guise as uh, Dr. Donald Blake uh, in his medical office. But first, we get to look underneath the, I presume it is the Hudson River, where Magneto is piloting a submarine for the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Uh, Maddie, do you want to take these next couple pages and tell us what happens? Yeah. So... Uh, it's mostly Magneto talking about how he thinks that the X-Men are nearby or that their headquarters is nearby. And so he sends the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants to go look for them while he's setting up some machine that's going to uh, amplify his powers or something, I believe. And then that gets Thor's attention while he's, well, while he's Donald Blake helping a, a patient of his. The early interactions of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants are always so insane. They're just playing pranks on each other. They're ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> Toad is hopping all around the ship. Uh, Mastermind is teasing him with an illusion of a sea snake. Magneto is so impatient and just yelling at everyone, bossing everybody around, including Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Uh, I adore. He, he sends the four members of the Brotherhood off on a mission and they all line up uh like one two three four in a little like tube sled it looks like they're getting ready to go down a water slide at a park or something <laughs> it's ridiculous uh uh terry are you a fan of the brotherhood of evil mutants what are your thoughts on this 60s version i am i think mostly because of the comedy i think that they're funny but i if i can ask a question about them <clears throat> i was curious because i have no idea whether or not at this point in the comics that the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are established as Magneto's children. So they are not established as that for a long time. So okay. they, join, they join the Avengers and in about 10 years, there's a period of time where they believe that the wizard and Miss America from World War II's invaders are their parents. Okay. And then it's not until uh, Wanda marries the Vision and gets pregnant with the twins, Magneto shows up one day and is like, by the way, I'm your dad. So well, it actually it actually doesn't happen until much later in the continuity, even though it's kind of hinted. Well, well, don't they find out sooner than that, though? That they're his, or no. And don't they find out sooner that they're I don't think kids? so. I, I could be off, but I don't believe so. I think it happens in uh, Roy Thomas's Vision and the Scarlet Witch series. Oh, but but the fans know. Like, we know that long before. It's been hinted. So we see we see a story where uh, they meet they meet Bova the cow woman who tells yes. who tells about their birth, but Wait, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't explicit. <laughs> <laughs> One more time. <laughs> so uh, so they grow up on Mount One. They're born on Mount Wondagore, which is the yes. headquarters of the High Evolutionary. Yes, and the High Evolutionary has a race of evolved animal men who live with him there and women yeah and women yes one of them is a cow woman her name is bova and she delivers the scarlet witch and and uh quicksilver at their birth yeah and then the mother <laughs> dies magda i think that's her name she dies at right after birth oh i just googled, i just i just googled her and <laughs> i love this oh my she's She's a little bit wonderful. I like Bova. Yeah. Uh, but now, canonically, Magneto is not their father anymore. Uh, we do not know who their father is, and their mother is Natalia Maximoff, a different version of the Scarlet Witch. So it's changed yet again. That was okay. way more of an answer than you wanted to your question, No, I, you've, changed, you've just changed my life now with this Bova <laughs> character. Great. She's a, she shows up once in a while. We see her a few times. 
uh, <laughs> uh, any other any other uh, uh, reactions to the interactions of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants before they go off on their mission? I think it's funny that they hate each other. Like they genuinely hate each other. They and they despise each it, other. It's like they they he wrote them to hate each other just because they were villains. Because they're bad guys, they're supposed to hate each other, kind of thing. I mean, like Toad and Mastermind kind of threaten Wanda a little bit, and Quicksilver comes to her defense. But I think they're probably the only, you know, besides that, they probably all just hate each other. They all have crushes on Wanda, and they all kowtow to Magneto. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's hijinks. The word evil is in their name; they have no choice. <laughs> Richie, did you have any thoughts there? I actually love like that submarine thing they're in and there's like a fucking tree sticking out of it. Like, like fucking Ollie Kirby can make that look cool. Like, yeah, it's, it's a little bizarre. Yeah, it's a little weird, right? When, uh, when Magneto is left alone, the Brotherhood has left, he goes and sits in his little crazy magnet chair and says, and I quote, and now I shall experiment with the matchless magnetic powers, the powers that will someday make me the ruler of all the inferior homo sapiens. This is 60s Magneto. He's either ranting about how powerful his magnets are or calling you something like a worthless dolt. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's very one note, but he's still kind of amazing. The, uh, the design on his costume alone with the purple cape and shorts, uh, I, I very much love this look. Uh, Terry, you said you... you like Magneto a lot. Have you read much of 60s Magneto? Um, a little bit, not a ton, but I think that in, you know, in like the Fox animated series, he still has, I think, a bit of that 60s, like, I'm evil kind of attitude. Yeah, yeah. So that's sort of what I liked about him, I think. Um, but yeah, I love that he's kind of um, one note and maniacal in these comics. Um, I almost wish that his like horns on his helmet were like five times bigger. Because it would just sell that sell that point. <laughs> Bring it home. Yeah, it's very it's very devilish. Uh, so Thor flies back to his medical office, stomps his hammer on the ground. It reverts to a walking stick. He is now Doctor Donald Blake, and and he goes inside and is treating a young white boy for a for a swollen arm uh, because he had a football injury throwing the ball. <laughs> And and he's being tended to by one of my favorite Marvel characters of all time, uh, Nurse Jane Foster. Uh, where do you guys know Jane Foster from? Any of you? I know her as Thor. Yeah, yeah, she was the girl Thor. Not, I mean, she was Thor, not girl Thor, but the uh, the infamous female Thor from a few years back. And Anyone of else? I'm Thor? Just, like picturing her, Natalie Portman now as this nurse. Yes. Yeah, Natalie Portman from the Thor movies is, is Jane Foster as well. Back in the 60s, Jane Foster was this very doting, lovey, doe-eyed nurse in the background. There's an iconic image of her daydreaming about polishing Thor's hammer. Uh, and she's like, if he would just let me take care of him. <laughs> it's, it, I've noticed that, like, especially with a lot of the early Jean Grey stuff, and then now some of this Jane stuff throughout this issue, they feel very, like, um, like Lichtenstein like those posters of like, well, why won't he love me? You know, like with the dots and all that. They feel very much like that. Mm -hmm. Those come from somewhere. I think those are primarily based on old romance, romance mm -hmm. comics from the 50s too. There's a, go read an issue of Patsy Walker sometime. It's, it's really great actually. Uh, so they're sitting in the medical office and suddenly all of the metal stuff just goes crazy. It's flying all over the walls. The cars outside are raising up into the air. Everything's going squampus and nuts. Okay, so after, after all of the metal stuff has settled down, Thor finishes everything up in his office. They explain the, ma the crazy magnet storm away by a, some sort of freak electrical storm. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Donald Blake says he needs to go out that evening and Jane reminds him, but we have a date. Uh, he says, please forgive me. The events of the past few minutes have rather unnerved me. I feel rather ill. Let's have dinner tomorrow instead, which is a great excuse, actually, if you have a secret identity as a superhero. <laughs> I'm feeling very nervous and I need to lie down. Uh, and then Thor's out to look for the source of the magnetic energy. Uh, what did you guys think about the interactions between uh, Donald and Jane? I think they're adorable. <laughs> 
Um, I, I guess it's sort of hard to like, I do think they're cute, but I, it's also hard for me to like see a character like Jane when I'm more familiar with her being more um, layered, more powerful. So that's a little weird, but I know it's just a, you know, a, a comic from the, the 60s. So <clears throat> I'll allow it net right now, but you know. <laughs> Uh, Richie, do you want to take over the next couple of pages? Tell us what happens. All right. So this is where the tree base comes in. Oh yeah, the the, the fucking tree base. This, this is this is wonderful, and I'm I adore all this because this is this Kirby at his best. You know, Thor Thor's looking looking for what the problem is with all this uh, electromagnetic magnetic stuff going on, and he finds this tree that turns into a, a submarine and then he goes in there and then out of nowhere he just like hits the door open and Magneto's there it's just so random this out of nowhere just like and Magneto's like what, what, what the fuck is going on what, what who is this so on the next page Magneto's kind of like oh wow you you must be a mutant you are you're, you're this powerful you must be a mutant and then he kind of Kind of tries to buy, buy Thor. Like, like, look at all these riches. Look at all the all this money I have. Whatever you, whatever you want, I have. I can give it to you. Just join forces with me. And that he, he even tries to give Thor some booze, some good old wine, I think it is. And then kind of, kind of Thor kind of just bitch slaps it out of his hand. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the the last page is just just them going at it you know and this is this is wonderful i love this it's like how kirby has the metal wrap around thor and thor's just stuck and then thor uses hammer and crashes it and then he throws his hammer at magneto it's just it's just kirby it's just like i just adore every panel of it magneto back then we see him really going after anyone he sees as powerful there's literally a spot where he's like oh thor you're amazing you must be a mutant and thus i am in charge of you uh it's the same plot was uh in the x-men when they go after the submariner and he's like oh you shall join us but uh he even offers wanda to the submariner like you could have this beautiful girl if you are just part of our team uh, but here, yeah, we literally see him offer riches, but the second Thor, uh, rebuffs him, Magneto is so fucking pissed. He's so mad. He's like, I will wrap you in floor then. Uh, the fight scene that follows is pretty amazing. I, uh, I think it's actually really delightful. Um, <laughs> Terry, what were some of your thoughts on this fight between Magneto and Thor? I think it's kind of, I don't know, like it's epic in a way <laughs> um you get thor like throwing the hammer super far and you get to see it kind of like coming back towards him um there's even a part where it's just like there's a panel where thor and magneto he's like thor's got magneto by the arm and he's just gonna like punch him in the face <laughs> um so i think it's kind of fun and like it sort of um leads up to like magneto um encasing thor in like a metal wall but what i find funny is that he like magneto does it by pushing a button and not with his powers it's uh it's really really creative use of magnet powers yeah <laughs> like if you think of how you're going to use that they find every way to use it uh maddie did you have some favorite moments in this fight scene um i yeah it's like it was really cheesy fun i enjoyed it actually there's a there's a spot where thor drops his cane and if he's separated from his or his hammer i mean if he's separated from his hammer for more than 60 seconds he'll turn back into donald blake and that's always his big fear in the 60s is that a villain's going to see him and figure out who he really is uh <laughs> there's a moment where magneto picks the walking stick up off the ground and was like oh what is this doing here and just kind of tosses it away <laughs> well, and i thought it was funny because like he never questioned where the hammer went <laughs> well he he like loses uh eyesight yeah. of Thor for a long time like how big is this tree base there's a lot going on under yeah. there and there's a uh, there's clearly a lot of metal 
uh it's it really it really is uh, a delightful little fight i uh i think it's i think it's really entertaining uh terry tell us what happens next well after in all my notes i call him mags <laughs> after <laughs> after mags throws the cane um i get, they're separated now by a wall um so magneto can't see that um thor has turned into dr blake but all these rivets start flying at him um Dr. Blake finds an opening in the wall that he says Thor opened. So that was kind of weird to me because like he doesn't like Dr. Blake doesn't consider himself Thor. And I think Thor doesn't consider himself to be Dr. Blake. So they're, they're almost like these two entities living in the same body, but I don't know. Um, anyway, so later Magneto enters the room, it's empty. And there's this big schematic radar on the wall that, that shows him where Thor is on the submarine thing. Um, but Dr. Blake ends up dodging like every metal thing in the submarine as Magneto's attacking him from a distance. And at this point, I believe, let me take a look at the issue again, but I think Dr. Blake gets like really tired. Um, and he's thinking like he can't go on anymore. Um, and that's when Magneto prepares to like strike, but then the, there's an uh, interruption um, Magneto says, my television alarm, I'm being summoned, which is coincidentally what I'm going to say in about half an hour when Drag Race starts. Um, <laughs> but um, the, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants has called him on his like magic TV phone. Um, and they say that they've found the X-Men, but that the problem is that the X-Men have spotted them and they're coming after them. Um, there's a lot of kind of like bumbling incompetence happening, which is what Magneto even says. Um, and they don't know what to do. Um, and so Magneto asks for their exact location, I guess. And at that point, here's a sound behind him. And it might be my favorite panel in the whole comic. Magneto turns around and at the end of the hallway, there's just a hand grabbing the cane, like, I'll take this. <laughs> it's just so weird. Um, and then he ends up, you know, because he has the cane, turning back into Thor and we get a cool... Um, when on the page turn, we get like a cool big panel of Thor, like striking at Magneto with um, his hammer, which he also calls his mallet in this. Um, Magneto throws up like a, a big magnetic force field and we get to learn that one of the powers of this hammer is that it's it can like draw out the magnetic energy from Magneto. Um, or from whatever power he's using with magnetism at that moment. And then that page, which I believe is 15, ends with like a very Stanley kind of moment where Thor tells him throughout history, there have been many who felt they were superior to mankind, but always they were destroyed while humanity endures. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what happens. Um, we get the next page we get like a scene with a bomb. Like he literally threw Magneto all the way across the room and Magneto's like, I'm going through a trap door now. <laughs> he pulls a lever and just goes through a trap door that he's conveniently sitting right on top of that Thor has conveniently thrown him onto. Um, and we find out there's a bomb under there, but it's quickly covered in ice, which can only mean ice that the X-Men have found him. Yeah. We, um, uh, Oh, we that's get to where, see the, where it goes. <laughs> we get to see the X-Men only off panel. So during the during the scene with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, we just see Cyclops's optic blast. Uh in this scene when they're closing in on Magneto with the bomb, we see Iceman kind of shooting ice, but we don't see him. And then in the next panel we get the shadow of the angel against the wall and we get Beast's uh hands kind of propelling forward, which is enough to make Magneto flee. Uh we don't get any hints of Jean. Uh maybe she stayed home this time, but <laughs> We get the shadows of the X-Men in the corners, which is kind of a fun way of doing things. Uh, uh, Matt and Richie, what did you think of the X-Men's appearance in this issue? Well, I loved it that it's from the point of view of the villains. That's that's what I thought was really, really great about it. And I love the use of um, you only see Beast's hands, Angel's shadow, et cetera, et cetera. But I was wondering, when does this issue take place in the original run? Uh, I'd have to go back and I'd have to go back and center it in perfectly. Oh, it, is it like six or seven? Yeah, it's probably right around us, uh, uh, right after the Submariner. Um, 
because in number 11, that's when Stranger pulls them into space. So I'm guessing it's right between five and eight right there. But I'd have to look at the publication history to get the specific spot where to sandwich it in. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was kind of wondering the same thing when, when it took place. But I liked how like, the X-Men were there, but they weren't there. Yeah, well. it was, it was a fun little trope. Mm-hmm. You also get uh, that that scene where Terry mentioned the hand kind of climbing around the wall slowly <laughs> to pick up the cane. Magneto goes, there he is, but why would the mighty Thor <laughs> bother to pick up a mere walking stick? <laughs> it really it really is uh, rather incredible. Now, Thor's hammer is insane in what it can do. He can travel through time and dimensions uh, it will always return to him. He can shoot lightning and control storms. Uh, he can drain energy from things. Uh, it helps him fly across space. There's all this all this crazy we can do. Now, in the modern Thor comics, we have come to learn that there is a god that possesses the hammer. It's the, the god of storms that possesses the hammer. And actually, in the newest issue of Thor, which just came out, that god was released from the hammer. So kind of a fun, uh, fun thing. Uh, Donny Cates is currently in charge of the Thor series. Another really fantastic thing he's doing in Thor right now. He did a very scary storyline. Uh, so Odin created this mortal identity for Thor to live in, Dr. Donald Blake, right? And at a certain point, Thor is separated from Dr. Donald Blake. But there's, it's never really talked about, but whenever Thor appears, Donald Blake has to go somewhere, right? And whenever Donald Blake appears, Thor has to go somewhere. And so there's a section of Asgard where this Donald Blake character just lives while Thor is alive. And he's stuck in this other place. And all of these years have passed. And uh, uh, Donny Cates just told a story about the Donald Blake identity having gone insane, coming to Asgard and just murdering everyone with, with blades. He's, he's, he's this really scary uh, uh, character who has now become an Asgardian god. Uh, any thoughts about that little nugget of continuity? That's insane. I mean, I'm glad that they, <laughs> I think it's kind of cool to bring that back around, though, and see what, you know, that's done to this person. That's kind of interesting, um, especially because I feel like it's sort of a quirky thing that they did in the 60s that they easily could have been like, and we don't do that anymore. That doesn't happen in the comics. So I think that's kind of fun. It's uh, it's ridiculous and fantastic, and I love how nerdy things can get uh, when we take deep dives into old continuity and bring it back up. It's one of my favorite things. Now, this is a shorter issue. Uh, there is a second part of this issue we're not going to cover, but we get to see when the X-Men appear, Magneto tried to escape in his Magnus sub, uh, but the X-Men are chasing him, and you can only tell because there's a submarine that has the letter X on it. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Rushed in the water. It's <laughs> the X sub. Do we ever see the X sub ever again? I do not know. I think so. Probably somewhere. <laughs> um, and uh, realizing that Magneto's base has now been destroyed by Thor, he returns home. Uh, as Magneto rushes away, uh, we, we get to see him thinking, they outsmarted my inept allies. They must have traced me through the mastermind's radio beam, but it availed them nothing. And then instead of thinking, he speaks out loud to himself. I shall now rejoin Quicksilver and the others. This is but a temporary defeat. Sooner or later, ultimate victory will be mine. I cannot, it cannot be otherwise. I was born to rule mankind. Oh, Magneto, you're so much drama. <laughs> uh, Terry, will you close the issue out with us as Thor or Dr. Donald Blake returns home to, to, to nurse Jane. Yeah. He, um, he walks into, I guess where Jane lives. Um, and she's reading a book and eating an apple, <laughs> which I kind of love like the pose. It looks like she's laying down and having a nice night. Um, they kind of have a couple little Lichtenstein moments. Like I mentioned, um, she says something like, if you think, uh, you can break a date with me, um, and make it up for a little, make up with it for a little sweet talk. Um, you're right. I was like, oh, Jane, come on. Um, then she makes him a sandwich. <laughs> um, and it's, I, it's, I, it's a ham and cheese sandwich, I believe. And he's like, this is amazing, Jane. And then that's kind of it. 
Uh, I kind of want to hear you read what he says to her, though, when she says the sweet talk. I just want to hear you read that. Sure. He's well, first of all, he's holding her chin with one hand. And then the other hand, he has a finger on her nose. And he says, Jane, darling, did anyone ever tell you that sarcasm doesn't become you? Lips like yours were meant only to whisper sweet nothings. Richie, would that line work on your girlfriend? Oh, no, she would slap me. (laughs) (laughs) And then you would make her a sandwich. Oh, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Did you guys have any any singular favorite moments from this issue? Or anything that left you curious that you just wanted to chat about tonight? I mean, I am kind of curious about the inner workings of, of like this Thor, Dr. Blake thing that happens. Um, like, do they fully remember what the other one has done? Does Dr. Blake ever care that Thor takes over his body? Like stuff like that. Um, they, uh, they are largely unaware. Uh, no, excuse me. Thor does have Dr. Donald Blake's full memories back then as they switch back and forth. So, because yeah, but, Donald Blake could suddenly be like, "Whoa, why am I on a submarine?" And you know, um, but it doesn't seem like that. So no, much. they are separate entities. I think back then you were kind of just meant to think that he was changing shape. It's sort of like the Shazam character, right? Billy Batson ah. gets it grows giant into Shazam. Okay. Uh, but later, it's revealed to be a little bit more like Captain Marvel and Rick Jones. Whenever he hits the Mega Bands, they swap places. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've read any of those old '70s comics. Um, but yeah, if, if, if you look into Donny Kate's recent run, uh, I think it's called The God of Butchers. Or that's not quite the right name, but it's, it, it was a really great run where he brought this old character back and made him crazy. It's killing me because this is very, very reminiscent of a character in Buffy season five, Chad. So I'm just waiting for you to get there. <laughs> I'm only on season three. You'll have to be patient. I, I will. But I can't right. spoil it for you. I don't know. I kind of love Jane's outfit in this final scene, though. Oh, she's looking very Donna Reed. Yeah. Mm. Maddie, did you have a favorite moment from this issue? Probably just the X-Men cameo. I thought that was really cute and witty and clever. That was good that. It was a lot of fun. How about you, Richie? Oh, I love like um, Jane eating the apple and, and him, him and Donald Blake just walking in out of fucking nowhere. Like just walks in her apartment. Like I would have been like, Get the fuck out. Like, <laughs> and does he have the key? But no, I. I'm looking at no. He just walks in there. He just walks in her like like it's nothing. <laughs> he appears to be knocking. Ah, uh, that's true. Hello, <laughs> anybody? Uh, he says as the door is open already. <laughs> <laughs> I really loved the fight scene. I thought Thor versus Magneto, containing it in one space, picture what Thor versus Magneto would look like in a modern book. There would be satellites ripped out of space and there'd be massive buildings exploding. To see this very subtle uh, image of Magneto using the floor and like nuts and bolts and energy fields uh, and Thor like really struggling to defeat him. I think the battle is just uh, delightful. I think it's really great. Uh, any, Any thoughts or comments on that? Well, it makes me want to see this issue drawn that way, just a little bit, maybe a page or two. We need a modern Thor versus Magneto. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so as we're closing out in the next episode of Gray Malkin Lane, we have a very, very special episode taking place where we are doing the incredibly long uh, trial of the juggernaut. Uh, we have a huge jury of people. It's going to be a long episode because we're literally covering his whole history, but it's going to be really amazing and funny and insightful. Uh, and we get to put uh, Kane on trial for all of his crimes over uh, many decades worth of committing them. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Are you guys all uh, Juggernaut fans? What do you like about Juggernaut? Well, I like Juggernaut. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, Juggernaut and Black Tom. Like, like... Like, I don't know if it's me, my head can't, but like, they have a thing going on. Like, they're romantically like a, a pair. It's never, like, in, in, it's never been confirmed that they're romantic, but we're going to have a lot to say about this during the trial. 
Yeah, like I'm totally down with that. Like, and you seen that the animated series, like how Black Tom was and how he talked to Juggernaut. There's something going on. Something going on. There's an adorable affection between them. Terry, do you have a favorite thing about Juggernaut? I just like his insanely large dome that he calls a helmet. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's interesting that he, along with Magneto, have to, it's almost like, you know, they have to wear these things that protect them from Xavier, Mm -hmm. you know, their, their brains from Xavier. So that's kind of interesting. We'll, uh, we'll cover this next time, but we flash back to their childhoods in the early X-Men comics and we see the first time Kane ever meets Charles and he literally slaps him upside the head in the very first meeting, in the first five seconds of them meeting. It's just, <laughs> and everything goes from there forward. Uh, so we're really excited to bring this to you guys. It's going to be an absolute blast. Uh, for those of you that are here, where can people find you online? Is there anything uh, coming up that you're excited about? And Terry, this is a, a, a great opportunity for people to be able to find you if they'd like to do commissions or hear more about your work. Uh, so uh, why don't you begin for us? Sure. Um... You can find me at Terry Blass on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm very easy to find. My website is terryblass.com. Um, I have a book coming out in about a week um, about Cesar Chavez that I mentioned. And other than that, that's pretty much all I've got going on right now. That is a lot. You've had a busy, busy 2021. <laughs> I have. Richie, where can people find you? Um, on Twitter. Uh, Richard Taronis. Um, let's go in there and nerd out. You, you post a lot of really fun stuff about the Summers family, which is great. Oh, I, I have a problem. My girlfriend hates it. It's, 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 it's ruining my relationship. <laughs> uh, Maddie, where can people find you? Uh, just on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, do you want to you want to give your handle here? You don't have to. Oh, I, well, I think it's both of them just by my my first last name, Matt Maxson. And then I am Chad. I keep my own social media private because I have kids on it. But uh, you can find the podcast, and I'm regularly chatting with people uh, on both Twitter and Instagram under Gray Malkin Podcast. P like podcast on Twitter. Uh, we have great stuff coming up and uh, I've mentioned in the last couple episodes we have such an incredible cast of professionals joining us over the next few months Uh, there's a lot of really amazing things to come Uh, thank you all for spending your evening with me Uh, Terry in particular thank you for telling us more about some of your incredible and impressive work I am a fan but I am also your friend and I'm so glad uh, we got to nerd out for a little while together tonight me too thank you so much Thank you. All right, everybody. Uh, We'll see you back next time on uh, Gray Malkin Lane.